be the one bringing the word to you today. Uh, I'm very excited. Our brother Todd Bolton, once again, he's agreed uh, to come and to share with us. And I think most of you by now know who Todd is, but uh, he is the, the dean of students at a seminary and Bible college over in Vallejo, and he's one of the elders at Community Bible Church there in Vallejo. And just a very dear brother to me. He's become a very dear brother to this church, him and his beautiful family. We love them. And um, I have benefited greatly from uh, from the fellowship that I've had with Todd and uh, how he has poured into me and, and encouraged me. And he's just a great brother. You know, he's working on his doctorate from Southern Seminary on, on preaching, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? So he's, uh, he's an expert in preaching. He's uh, working his way in that direction. And um, a professor of New Testament and Greek and Hebrew at the at the seminary, so we're just really blessed. You know, there's a lot of pastors out there who don't have people that they can call upon to to fill the pulpit for them. And you know, we got pastors in our church who are very capable and who bless us when they step in for me. Uh, but then to have brothers even outside of our church who will come from time to time and bless us. So I praise God for that. And so, Brother Todd, if you want to come on up and preach Christ to us today. I like that. You know, especially when you get saved, I mean, you have big expectations for what your life is going to be like. Like, I'm never going to struggle with this sin again. God's going to fix all my problems. Everything is going to be great. You know, you had excitement, you know, that joy you felt when you trusted in Christ, when you saw the wonders of your salvation, that all your sin was put away on the cross. You saw the depths of the holiness and justice of God, and you knew that the only way to get right with God wasn't in you. And then you saw Christ go to the cross on your behalf. All your sin dealt with. You thought, my life will never be the same. I have peace. I have hope. I have joy. But then maybe a few months later, maybe even a few days later, maybe a few years later, there's kind of the shock and the disappointment that there are still twists and turns in life, that things don't go according to what I had planned, that not everything is matching up with those big expectations that I have. You know, maybe you got saved and you thought, I've got to tell my friends and family about Christ. And so you're, you're assuming they're going to respond just like I did, with joy and excitement. And then you share with them and what happens? They laugh at you or they mock you. Or they say, well, that's just a phase, you know, you'll get over it. Or maybe you thought, you know, the world needs more people like that spread the love of Christ, that live like him in the world, and that's going to be a great thing. And then you go out into the world, you try to love like Christ, balancing grace and truth, and you're labeled as narrow-minded. Or you're blamed for all the problems of society. You know, it's Christians like you with your narrow-mindedness that are responsible for all the problems that we're having in this world. Or maybe you just knew that God was good when you got saved, that he's in control of everything, and now there's a global pandemic, stay-at-home orders, maybe you were let go at work, there's mask mandates, protests, government restrictions, and the questions that come to your mind is like, well, God, are you really good? Are you really in control? Because when I look at the world around me, it doesn't seem like you're in control. You know, when you got saved, you thought that Christ was going to be the answer to all of your problems, and some days it feels like maybe he's the cause of a lot of my problems. And you ask questions like, God, where are you in all of this? Why is this situation happening to me? 
Well, if you have ever asked those questions of God, if you've ever thought those thoughts, then the letter of 1 Peter was written for you. Because that's the exact situation that the people that Peter was writing to were in when he wrote this letter. They thought everything was going to be good, and now they're suffering for Christ. And Peter opens his letter by addressing his readers as elect pilgrims. And it's with those two words that Christ is reminding you of very important truths. First, that you are precious to him. You are his elect. You are the ones he chose. He loves you. But by calling you pilgrims, he's also reminding you that this world is not your home. And so you shouldn't expect the comforts and pleasures of home during this life in this world. And if you want to be able to navigate the difficulties and disappointments of this life, you need to remember that this world is not your home. And that perspective, it changes everything. It changes your expectations for this life. I'm not expecting a life of comfort and ease because I understand that this world isn't my home. This isn't the place where I'm going to experience comfort and ease at all times. That's coming later. But it also changes your perspective on what you're here to do. That you're not here just to be made comfortable and to have life be easy. You're here with a job to do. Christ left you here when he saved you for a purpose. That you're called to be his ambassador, to represent Christ in the world. That's why you're still here. And that's what we need when we're struggling with sort of the disappointments and the difficulties of life. When our expectations aren't matching up with reality, we need to reorient our expectations. What am I actually here to do? I'm a beloved child of God who's here to spread the love of Christ in this world. And so that's what 1 Peter really is all about. And he even gets at those very themes in just these first two verses. So let me read these first two verses. And then we'll pray and consider how to live in light of your true home. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Let's pray. Lord, I think all of us, uh, especially in these last 10 to 12 months, have been reminded in various ways that this world is not our home. We've been made uncomfortable in various ways, some just the circumstances of a global pandemic have made life maybe more fearful or maybe more full of anxiety. Maybe we've had those, that pandemic result in losing a job or maybe even losing a loved one. Then there's been all the government guidelines and that's caused us to maybe be uncomfortable with the way that our government's handling this situation, that we think we know better. And then there's loving even one another in Christ who may have different convictions than we do. And so in so many ways, a life has been uncomfortable in these last 10 to 12 months. But Lord, you never said that this life is going to be comfortable. You never said that it was going to be easy. 
uh, we should expect that we're not going to enjoy the comforts of home in this life. And so, Lord, you're doing a work through all these things. You're reminding us that this world is not our home. You're reminding us of what we're here to do. You're reminding us of who we are in you, despite how the world sees us. And those are all so valuable uh, for us because they help us to be more like Christ. They help us to live more like Christ. And so we're thankful for even the trials and the difficulties. And yet we do need the reminder that this world is in our home, uh, that we are precious to you, but you've left us here for a purpose. And that's exactly why this letter was written. And so Lord, encourage us this morning. Speak to us. We need to hear your voice. We need to be shepherded by Christ right now as we live this life. And so do your work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so live in light of your true home. Uh, First, if you want to live in light of your true home, you need to remember that this world is not your home. The first step to living in light of your true home is realizing this world is not your home. You shouldn't expect it to feel like home. Back in verse 1, how does he address the readers of this letter? He says, to the pilgrims. Your version might say, to the strangers or to those in exile, the sojourner, the foreigner. What's the point? You're a stranger in a strange land. And Peter, right from the beginning of this letter, he thinks that's crucial. You have to remember, you are a stranger in a strange land. This world is not your home. You shouldn't expect the comforts of home in this life. You know, what's your home? Your home is a place of comfort and peace. It's a place of safety. You know, it's free from the troubles of the world. Your home really is the place where you most want to be. Of course, that's under normal circumstances. When you're at a shelter at home, maybe your home is the last place you want to be. But under normal circumstances, you long to be home. It's comfortable, it's peaceful, it's safe. That's where I want to be. And Peter says this world is not that place for you. You shouldn't expect a life of comfort and peace here. You shouldn't expect a life free from the troubles of the world here. You're not at home. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a Chinese buffet before, but you have certain expectations when you go to a Chinese buffet, right? You're not expecting the best quality of food at a Chinese buffet, but you are expecting a great quantity of food, of sort of pretty good Chinese food. That's why you go to the Chinese buffet. But if you've ever been to one of these places, oftentimes, you know, they have all the tables with all the different Chinese food. But then there's sort of this other table at at the Chinese buffet where they have, like, pudding and jello and garlic bread and spaghetti and pizza. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But so imagine you're going to the Chinese buffet and you're going with some friends and your friend just kind of loads up on the pizza at the Chinese buffet. You sit down, you're all eating your food together and he's just going on and on about how bad the pizza is at the Chinese buffet. It's like, what would you tell your friend? Why were you expecting good pizza at the Chinese buffet, right? Why are you even eating the pizza at the Chinese buffet? That's not what they're known for. And so your expectations were wrong when you went expecting good pizza at the Chinese buffet. But that's kind of how we live, right? We live with the expectation that this life is going to be great, that I'm going to be free from problems, especially because I know Christ. Everything's going to work out well for me. Well, then why are you surprised, though, when, to be reminded that this world is not your home when your coworkers throw you under the bus. Why were you expecting that wouldn't happen if this place isn't your home? 
Why are you furious when the government does things that don't make sense to you? Why are you distraught when relationships are hard? Peter says, you're pilgrims. What did you expect? This life isn't going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. You're a sojourner. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim, an exile. You shouldn't expect a life without hurt feelings and difficult conversations. You shouldn't expect a life in the fallen world that doesn't come with everything that that comes with. Hard situations, difficult circumstances. You're a sojourner. You're a stranger. Then on top of all that, he says what? You are to the pilgrims of the dispersion, which basically means not only are you pilgrims, you're sort of scattered all over the place. So you're not all together. So the idea of being in a dispersion or scattered is, again, life won't be easy. You'll find yourself persecuted. You'll often find yourself isolated and outnumbered, suffering. You know, no matter where you are, if you're a believer in the world, in a sense, you'll never fit in with the world around you. That's just the way it is. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says this explicitly in 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 3. It says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So if you're in Christ, that time is gone. But verse 4, With respect to these things, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you for it. So what's Peter saying? Peter's saying, you're going to always be around people that you live very differently than they do. And when people see that, they're going to think you're weird. I mean, that's the idea, that they think it's strange. Why would you do that? And their response then is not to say, isn't it great that you live this way? No, their response is to malign you. You know, they're all, unbelievers will always think Christians are weird. You know, so I don't know if, you know, that burst of bubble, there really are no cool Christians. I think sometimes we get saved and we think, I'm going to be different, you know, I'm going to be the kind of Christian that the world likes. And it's like, no, they're going to think you're weird. So just embrace it, right? You don't have to worry that if I share my faith, they're going to think I'm weird. Like, they're going to think you're weird. They already think you're weird. And so just go ahead and share your faith and, you know, get off with it. But again, Peter's saying that this is, it's hard, though, to be that, to be outnumbered, to be isolated, to have the world think you're strange, because being scattered is difficult. And I think we're feeling that even more these days when we're kind of even scattered from one another, that we usually enjoy the freedom to be in each other's homes and to be at church together, all together, and we're experiencing, even as a church, that we're having to be a little bit scattered, and it is difficult. But being scattered is also good. Because this world needs to be permeated with people that are living for a different home. This world needs to see people that are living for something different than the world. And so don't retreat. You know, I think we're always tempted to retreat. It would be so much easier if I didn't have to deal with anyone that doesn't know Christ and I could just spend all my time with my brothers and sisters and life would be great. First of all, that probably wouldn't be true. But, you know, that, that, I, that temptation that life is going to be easier if I retreat is not, we have to resist that. You know, we think, well, it'll be easier if I would leave liberal California in this worldly work environment that I'm in. If I found a better place, a better state, life would be better. But no, you're scattered where you are for a purpose. 
And so embrace the difficult places that God has you scattered throughout this world. You need to be there. So you're a sojourner, you're a stranger, and you're spread out all over the world. But I think Peter's trying to do something else. When he's addressing them as pilgrims, I think in some ways it's a subtle rebuke to kind of at, to ask the question, why have you been thinking that the world, that this world is your home? Right? You've been living as though this world is your home. How does Peter know that? Well, in chapter 4, he says that they are surprised by the fiery trials that are going on around them as though something strange were happening to them. Again, Peter's saying, why, why are you surprised? This is the way that life is going to be in this world. You think that something weird is happening to you. You know, you're flipping out about how the government is treating you. Your boss is driving you crazy. You're distressed that your classmates mock you for being a Christian. And Peter's saying, this world isn't your home. Why are these things surprising you? Why do you think these things are strange? You know, in so many ways, life is a lot harder when we expect it to be comfortable. You know, we need to remind ourselves every morning when we wake up, this world is not my home. Because I think by default, we wake up thinking, everything's going to go well today, everyone's going to do exactly what I want them to do, and everything's going to be happy, and then what? Every day's a disaster because those things usually don't happen. But we need to do that reminder. Life is always harder when we expect it to be comfortable. So wake up, remind yourself, this world isn't my home. I'm here for a purpose. Things are going to come up, and those are God-ordained things, and I remember that I'm a stranger. And then we also need to make sure that we're not trying to make this world our home. Now, of course, it's easy to understand why we would try to make this world our home. It's because before we were saved, this world was our home, right? We were accustomed to comforting ourselves with the pleasures of the world, we distracted ourselves with TV and video games. We put all our attention and our joy into whatever relationship that we were in. We found all of our greatest joys in the latest gadgets, iPhone, best restaurant, most exotic vacation. Whatever it was, this world was our home, and we sought to make our home as pleasurable as possible. You were at home in the world, and you went out of your way to make sure that your life was free from conflict and hard circumstances. You were at home in the world, but now you're not, right? Imagine it this way. I mean, what's the difference between living at home and living in a hotel room, right? When you're home, that's your space. You're going to be there for a while. So what do you do? You decorate, right? You get the, the furniture that you want, you know, the art pieces that you want, the TV that you want, the video game system you want, whatever. You, you get all of it. Why? Because that's your home, and you're going to be there for a while. Now, if you go to a hotel, how is it your life different, right? What do you do at a hotel? Well, usually you just take just enough to get by, right? Maybe some clothes. Uh, maybe if they have a little mini fridge, you want to take, uh, you know, uh, some food. But when you go to the hotel, you don't decorate, right? You don't rearrange the furniture. You don't buy a new TV and put it on the wall in the hotel room. Why? Because you're not going to be there very long. You know, this letter is Peter's way of telling you, stop decorating your hotel room. <laughs> this world isn't your home. You have a home. You'll be going there soon. Stop trying to make this world your home. You know, the frustrations and anxieties that you face are probably revealing that you've tried to make this world your home. 
that your expectation has been that this world is going to be comfortable and full of joy and always perfect at all times. And Peter's saying, no, it will have a lot of joy, but it's not always going to be comfortable. And so we need to reattach our hope and our affections on Christ and on where he is and not on this world. But how? How do you do that? If you've been feeling frustrated, if you've been feeling anxious, if you see that your, your hope and your affections are tied to this world instead of the world to come, how is it that you can change that to get your affections and hope back on Christ? And I think that's where verse 2 comes in. You remember why you're not at home in the world anymore. The reason you're not at home in this world anymore is because God chose you out of it. Verse 2 says, to these pilgrims who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to live in light of your true home, you need to remember the privilege of being chosen by God for his home. You are elect, you're chosen, you're chosen and precious to the one true God of the universe. You are the object of affection of the triune God. Your redemption, it's going to talk about, was planned by the Father, executed by the Spirit, and consecrated by the Son. The reason you're a sojourner, the reason you're not at home in this world anymore, is because the Father, Son, and Spirit have rescued you from your home so that you could be with them in their home. You are loved by the Father, set apart by the Spirit, and sprinkled with the blood of his Son. And so let's look at each of these. Remember first your privilege as one loved by the Father. It says that you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does this mean? It means that God had an intentional and loving plan to redeem you. He planned to take you out of your earthly home and to put you into his home. I mean, how privileged are you that God would do that? I mean, think of what he chose you out of. He chose you out of a world corrupted by sin. He chose you out of a life enslaved to sin and apart from God. He chose you out of a life that was destined for eternal destruction. He didn't want this world to be your home. He didn't want you dominated by sin. He didn't want you fearing eternal judgment. So what did he do? He chose you. What did he choose you to? He chose you to an eternal inheritance with himself. He chose you to a life not dominated by sin, but a life dominated by joy and peace, not only in this life, but also for eternity. He didn't want your joy and your peace dependent on your health or your relationship status or the next election, so he planned your redemption. And how comforting has it been these last 10 months in the middle of a global pandemic and politics and everything that's been going on to know that God is in control, that he loves you, and that he has a good purpose going on. He chose you. He didn't want you living in rebellion and fear of eternal torment, so he planned your redemption. And he's carefully orchestrated every moment of your life and circumstances to bring you to himself. 
It's not an accident that you're saved. You didn't slip into God's home uninvited. No, he loves you. He chose you. He planned your rescue, and he carried it out. He secured your place in his home, eternal home, forever. And so realize the privilege of being chosen by God, the Father. But not only was your redemption planned, he also rescued you so that you could take part in what he's doing in the world. God chose you so that you could uniquely contribute to the accomplishment of his mission of saving people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Right? Look at the next phrase. So you were elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You're also elect in or by the sanctification of the Spirit. And so the second phrase emphasizes that you have a privilege as one set apart by the Spirit for a purpose. He says, by the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, normally when we think of the word sanctification, if you've heard that before, we usually associate that word with the process of becoming more like Christ over the course of our life, right? God saves us, and then he sanctifies us throughout the rest of our life. He's in the process of making us more like Christ. But the term also can mean that God has set something apart, right? Not a process, but something he does in one moment where he sets you apart for something different. And that's, you know, when you think about some of the Old Testament, you know, they says that they sanctified the things in the temple, right? What does that mean? Did the, the, did the like, the bowls and everything in the temple start to go into a process of being made more and more holy? No. They were set apart for a holy use. That's what he's talking about here. That God elected you, and he did it by sending his spirit to set you apart for a specific purpose. Every believer has been set apart by the Spirit for a specific purpose. So not only did God plan your redemption, but he also planned your part in what he's doing in the world. So you have a purpose, right? You're outfitted by the Spirit for a specific purpose in this world. So now, if you go back to verse 1 and you think about some of the terms that Peter's already used, if you combine the term he just used with a purpose, it starts to give it a little bit of a different flavor. So think of it this way. At first, in verse 1, you were a pilgrim. You were a stranger, a sojourner, an exile. But if you're a stranger or a sojourner with a purpose, what does that make you? It makes you an ambassador, right? You're a stranger in a strange land, but you're not just passing through. You have a job to do in that strange land where you find yourself. You have a task to accomplish. Peter's not just saying that this world isn't your home. He's saying this world isn't your home, and you're still here for a very specific purpose. You're on assignment. You're not a tourist. You're on a mission. And what's your mission? The very same as Christ, to seek and save the lost to be about God's purposes in the world, to enter a dark world, preach the gospel, do good works, and hope that by God's grace, he uses you to rescue more people. You know, you can think of yourself as like a special agent, right? What's a special agent do? Well, they're sent to infiltrate sort of behind enemy lines, and then they have a job to do, rescue as many people as they can while they're behind enemy lines. Now, what would you say, though, if, you know, like, let's say I was sent to Italy, right, to go on a rescue mission to rescue people from Italy. But I get to Italy, and I'm like, you know, I don't even know why people need to be rescued from this place. 
like the food's great, the culture's great, all this artwork, you know, I love being here, I love the people. You know what, I'm just going to settle down here in Italy and forget my mission. It's like, what would you say? Like, oh, I've totally failed, <laughs> right? You know, you're like Fat Thor in the Avengers, right? He's supposed to be saving the world, but what's he doing? He's sitting in his basement playing video games all day, <laughs> right? That's how sometimes our Christian life can be, that we're sent by God to accomplish something in the world. But what do we often do? We just start getting comfortable in the world where he sent us, and we make this world our home. And so Peter's reminding them, you're here for a reason. You're an ambassador for Christ. What else does an ambassador do? Well, an ambassador represents someone else. And who are we represent, representing? We're representing Christ in the world. So we should probably expect, if we're representing Christ, we should probably expect that this life, we will share in the various experiences that Christ had while he was a representative of God in the world. So how would you describe Christ's experience as one sent by the Father for a purpose? A life of comfort and ease? A life free from suffering? Like not at all, right? The very opposite. A life of difficulty and of suffering for the sake of others. And Peter's going to go on to say in chapter 2 that that's exactly the life that you should expect. Right? Look at chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 21. This is right in the middle of a section where he says, slaves should be subject to their masters, that everyone should be subject to whatever human institution is over them, governments and whatnot. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about wives should be subject to their own husbands. Why should they do these things? Look at verse 21 of chapter 2. For to this you have been called. So here's your calling, right? This is your calling as a believer because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What's Peter saying? Peter is saying that you should expect that your life will look a lot like Christ's life. Unjust suffering, hard circumstances. Why? so that God might show people Christ through your sufferings. So that you would respond like Christ, that when you're reviled, you don't revile in return, that when you're suffering, you don't threaten people. And in all those things, that your life would begin to paint a picture of Christ's life. That's what Peter is saying the purpose of your life is, to paint a picture of Christ to those around you. And when you think about it, it's like, well, how else would people see Christ unless you suffer well like he did, right? How are people going to know forgiveness, the forgiveness of Christ, unless you, they wrong you and you have to display the forgiveness of Christ? 
How else will people see Christ's trust in his father unless we don't retaliate when our boss mistreats us? Right? The very same things that Christ showed through his life and his suffering are going to be characteristic of your life. That's what Peter's saying. That's what our expectation should be. But the great thing is that the result of all of Christ's suffering is that he saved us. And I think that's the hope that we have. The result of all of our suffering, if we endure it like Christ endured it, is that God might use the testimony of our suffering to save someone else. And so you're an ambassador, you're an ambassador, you have a job to do, and you're an ambassador, so you are representing someone else, and that person you're representing is Christ. So you're a stranger with a purpose. How about the next phrase? He says you're a pilgrim of the dispersion, again in verse 1, so you're kind of spread out all over the place, scattered about. But if you're scattered about with a purpose, well, then that takes on a kind of a different feel again, doesn't it? You know, there's no room for thinking about, you know, what part can I possibly play in God's plans? You're put where you are for a strategic purpose. It's not an accident that you're in California. It's not an accident that you have the job that you do. It's not an accident that you're in the class that you're in. God has strategically placed you where he wants you for the sake of his mission. You're on assignment because the Spirit has set you apart. You're strategically placed where you are by God. So again, don't retreat. Embrace where God has you and live for Christ wherever that is and see God use you. So whatever trial you're facing, it's been carefully planned by God for the accomplishment of his mission. You know, if you were sick, if you were in the hospital, that wouldn't be an accident. And you could ask yourself, why am I here? God has put me here for a reason. I mean, think about Paul in Philippians, right? He's in jail, and his thought is not my ministry is hindered because I'm in jail. No, his thought is my ministry is now in jail, right? And I'm going to tell these guards who I'm chained to all day what the gospel is and what happens. They get saved. People that would have never heard the gospel get saved because God put Paul in jail. God might put you in a hospital bed, and you might think your life is over or your ministry's over, but it's God could be putting you there so that a doctor who would never otherwise hear the gospel gets to hear the gospel because you're there. Or a nurse or anybody else, right? God strategically places you throughout the course of your life in places where he wants you to live for him. You know, you might wonder, like, why am I the laughing stock of the office? Why am I here? I got to quit this job. I got to get out of here. No, God has put you there. Think through it. Why has God put me here? Maybe he's put me here so that I don't retaliate like the rest of my coworkers and, and they see something different from me but by, by God's grace, right? You are privileged to be set apart by the Spirit to play a part in Christ's mission in the world. Each one of you has a special part to play in Christ's mission in the world. Your life has ultimate purpose, being used by God to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So you're not here for a comfortable life. You're not here to fix the government. You're here to represent Christ in a world that desperately needs him. And so remember that privilege. So you're privileged because you've been chosen by the Father. You're privileged because you've been set apart by the Spirit. Gracious to show you the punishment that your sins deserved. And then he was merciful to reveal his son to you so that you could call on him for forgiveness. 
The triune God chose you to obey Jesus. You didn't want to obey. You weren't looking to obey. He chose that you would obey. I mean, how privileged are you? I mean, this is supposed to be the greatest blessing in your life is that whatever I'm going through, whatever hard time is in my life, I get to think about the fact that God chose me to say yes to Jesus. And then, on top of that, when you said yes to Jesus, it says you were sprinkled with his blood. I mean, this is the ultimate privilege that we have and that we'll enjoy for all eternity, that we are a people that have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. I mean, it goes back to Exodus 24, right? It talks about, it's about how do you kind of ratify a covenant is with blood. Exodus 24, Moses reads the law. He sacrifices these bulls. God enters into a covenant with unworthy people. And the proof of that covenant is that the blood of those bulls. And Moses literally took the blood from those bulls and he sprinkled it on the people. So if you were standing there, you'd be sprinkled with the blood. I mean, it would hit your face. It would be coming down your cheek. It would be on your clothes. And Peter says, you've been sprinkled not with the blood of a bull, but with the blood of Christ. I mean, think of it. Imagine yourself, you're standing before God. You know that you're not worthy to be before God. I mean, you know your life. You know how much sin you had. You know even the sin that you're still doing. You, you know what you deserve. I deserve punishment. I deserve death. And then what happens? You see Christ going to the cross. And you see his blood shed instead of yours. And then God takes the blood of his son and he sprinkles it on you. And as you feel those drops of blood hitting your forehead, hitting your cheek, on your clothes, you can almost hear God's voice from Jeremiah 31. As he's sprinkling the blood of his son, he says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They won't have to teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. I mean, forgiveness, new relationship, new heart, new home. And I mean, just imagine wiping the blood of Christ off of yourself, seeing it on your hands. And thinking like, I mean, he did this for me. I mean, what privilege you have. And also what great responsibility you have now in this world. That you've been cleansed from your sin forever. That you've been made acceptable for service. That you're eagerly awaiting an eternal home with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's almost like Peter's saying, now about those trials... Like, what trials? What trials do I have? I don't have trials. I have privileges. I'm set apart by God for a purpose. I'm sprinkled with the blood of his son. I'm the object of love to the only true God. I don't have trials. I have 
privileges. And then Peter closes his greeting by saying, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Right? Or grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. May the things that you've already experienced, grace and peace, may those just continue to abound in your life more and more and more. The grace that saved you is still available today to help you live on mission for Christ. The peace that was won by Christ on the cross is still available to you today to be able to walk in it no matter the trials and the tribulations that are going on around you. Grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. And so live in light of your true home. Now, what if you don't know Christ? Or what if you haven't come to him for forgiveness and cleansing? Well, if you haven't come to Christ, then this world is your home. And you don't get to enjoy all of the privileges and blessings of joy and peace, even in difficult circumstances. If, Christ is, if you don't know Christ, then this world is it for you. And this world will end in you being judged eternally. And as much as you might say that you enjoy this life apart from Christ, you know that's not true. In your heart of hearts, you know that God is real, that your actions deserve judgment, and the only way to escape that judgment is Christ. And so stop suppressing those things and come to Christ. Now, if you are a Christian, you have a choice to make. Are you going to try to make this world your home, or are you going to live for your true home? Now, if you try to make this world your home, you're bound for a life of disappointment. Because if you look to this world for fulfillment and affirmation, you're not going to find it, and you're going to find yourself frustrated day after day. Or maybe worse, if you look to this world for fulfillment and affirmation, and somehow you find it, you'll find your life wasted and unfruitful. You were like that secret agent sent to Italy and just settled down in Italy rather than being about the mission. And so, are you going to try to make this world your home, or are you going to live as a sojourner on mission for Christ? So when you're on the job, are you going to demand justice, equity, and fair treatment, or am I going to live for my next home and trust God, endure hardship, and suffer for Christ? When you're with unbelieving family or friends, are you going to try to protect your reputation and protect the peace? Or are you going to speak the truth in love no matter the consequences? If you remember that this world is not your home, you'll find a life of joy and peace even when it's hard. The trials of life are not going to overwhelm you. The disappointments of life won't steal your joy because you know that this world isn't my home. I'm living in light of my true home. Let's pray. Lord, when we remember these things, we just say, what trials do I have? I'm a child of the Father. I've been set apart by the Spirit. I've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. We are so privileged to know you. We're so privileged that this world is not our home. We're privileged that we're going to spend eternity with you apart from sin and suffering and death. So Lord, remind us of these things. Help us to remind each other of these things. If we find ourselves or a loved one, you know, kind of frustrated by life, that we would gently remind each other that this world isn't our home. 
And we would seek to know why, why are we going through this right now? What is this difficulty doing? How is it part of the mission that you have us on for the sake of Christ? And so use us in each other's lives. Use your word to remind us of those things day after day. We pray that we would wake up every morning reminding ourselves this life is not about my comfort. It's not about my safety. It's about Christ. And so may we handle all of the interruptions and distractions and hard circumstances with an attitude that seeks to be used by you in whatever you throw our way. And when we do that, we'll experience joy and we'll really enjoy our eternal home when we've lived a life of faithfulness to Christ and his mission in the world. So do your work. Remind us of these things. Help us to live for you. Uh, send us your spirit daily to empower us to do this. It's hard to do this. There's so many distractions, so many ways that we can get off track. And so just be gracious to us. Remind us of our purpose and, and strengthen us for it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.